clubhouse. Find him and kill him. Strong Creatives, welcome to Nosferatu Podcast. I'm Mike Caputo. And I'm Anna Hoagie. Tonight we're talking about episode five of season two, Bruce Wayne McQueen. And don't forget to stick around after we're done talking about tonight's episode. We have a fantastic interview with Virginia Cole, Linda McQueen herself. It's uh, really entertaining. It's really funny. Uh, she was a great guest. So we definitely want you to stick around for that. This episode is written by Tom Brady who wrote The Dark Tunnels, Episode 6 from Season 1, and Sleigh House, Episode 9 from Season 1. And it's also directed by Hanel Culpepper. Um, now, she's doing Episode 5 and 6 both this season, but last year um, she also directed Sleigh House from Season 1. So we've kind of got a team that's worked together here. Yeah. And then to see this episode, how it was, you know, plays out, I think it's a good, strong team indeed. (laughs) Definitely. (laughs) I'm still trying to catch my breath. (laughs) I I finished watching this episode and I kind of just walked around for a little bit in the circle, not really knowing what to do with myself. I had so much like excess adrenaline to burn off from watching it. In a lot of ways, I think this is one of the most important episodes of the series, uh, just just dramatic tension-wise, storyline-wise. So far, definitely. Especially when you look at how last week's episode was, you know, more character-driven and uh, took the time with the family and and kind of set up, basically, for, for us to now have this insane, emotional, powerful, action-packed ride in this one. So... You know, last week just just lends so much more weight now after seeing what happens in this episode. It's just, again, it's brilliant the way that they've put this together. Watching this episode reminded me of the best episodes of, say, like The Magicians, which was a show that was fantastic. But one of the things The Magicians really set itself apart upon was its way of telling a story. All of the different imaginative ways of of bringing that narrative forward. I mean, especially you look at like season three, and they just did things I had never seen on television. And this episode of Nos really echoed that. It, it, it was such a efficient way of telling the story, but also super creative too, and, and really well done. I mean, this is a hard this is a hard narrative structure to pull off, and I think they did a really excellent job with it. So I, I give them all a lot of credit. Yeah, and I remember, like, right after I watched it, I think the first thing I did was text you. This reminded me of the episode of The Magicians, the six short stories about magic, where they kind of played with presenting different viewpoints um, throughout the episode. And I've seen similar things in movies before, and I've definitely seen it in X-Files and Supernatural, where they're sort of showing you the the perspectives from two different characters, but it was done for comedy sake. And here, the way that they're doing it between 
Wayne and Vic, this mother and child, and the way the whole episode is set up from start to finish, it's just, it, it heightens the effects of that parental bond, that mother and child bond. And, and, and it's just so well thought out and, and so well done in that, in that way where it, it just pulls you in and makes you feel exactly what these people are feeling. I'm just blown away. I am. I, I, there's no words. From the very first scene of this episode where we, where we have the flashback of the traumatic C-section birth and the baby not breathing, uh, which is a trauma all on its own, and, and through the, the transitions in the scenes where she gets, when she gets run over and she's having the memories of Wayne, and really it's like this, the memory of Wayne is what, kind of what keeps her going and gives her, literally gives her advice. And then later on it'll be Wayne having memories of his mother waking up to the banging on the window and stuff for, for this is the first episode that's really delved into the strength of their bond or the deepness of their bond and of course it's the episode where where they get torn apart from each other so it, it, it's it's just this yin yang light dark thing the entire episode and it really keeps you emotionally invested and, and i think that's what we're at the end of the day that's what we're talking about we've spent a lot exactly. of time this season talking about how we are emotionally invested in these characters. That's why we really care what happens to them. The horror is almost secondary to the emotional investment at this point. And this episode is is the peak of that. In the same episode, we, we understand how close these two are together, which makes watching them get torn apart so much more difficult. It, it, indeed. And, and, it, and it also shows us how disgustingly horrible our villains really are and really can be throughout this entire what 37 minute ride basically the dialogue oh my god it's it's just the worst it's cruel and it's horrible and and i mean manx is on the war path and he's harsh and he's biting and then bing is just grossing me out at like every other moment you know threatening to bite off wayne's cheek and then you know the next minute threatening to have fun quote unquote with his mom and oh my god i'm just it got me down to the bone all the way through all the way through what did they do to you? <laughs> right. For, for, for a guy such as Charlie Manx, who, who we know is petty, who we know is spiteful and holds a grudge and acts out of vengeance, this was maybe the most unhinged, bloodlusty we've seen him. You know, he usually keeps his cool better as he's doing his menace, which makes it a much more subtle kind of menace, right? Because he's not usually flying off the handle uh, with with vitriol and yeah. spittle flying out of his mouth tonight he was just he was taking out all he was excising all of his demons tonight this was an episode you know filled with trauma and and trauma from wayne's point of view from that opening scene i mean as a baby obviously he's not he's not holding on to the memory of not being able to breathe for a minute and th this was particularly my, my son didn't breathe for over a minute when he was first born it was a very traumatic experience when he was born so i actually really identified with the scene in a horrible way it was very triggering to watch uh also oh, wow. I, as a total side note this has been a really rough like month for babies on television uh, I'm currently watching Perry Mason, you know, a baby uh, murder sets off that series. Uh, the new season of The Alienist, which uh, premiered tonight, along with uh, this episode of Nosferatu, 
uh, is is about it features heavily the death of a baby and baby napping. I, I can say that now because the episode oh will. Yeah, this episode. <laughs> will, this episode. This is coming out just as the Alienist has finished its two-hour premiere, which we're also covering at Pod Clubhouse. And yeah, it's all about baby death. And then you had this episode tonight with the baby not being able to breathe and a dramatic C-section. What? What did Hollywood do? What did babies do to Hollywood? What is happening here? Why are we going after the babies? But yeah, yeah. So I mean, <laughs> so this episode starts with that trauma for Wayne's life. But but I think that's just a way of, of showing that Wayne's entire life, whether he's been aware of it or not, has been framed by traumatic experience. And he sees from the word go. I mean, he's at the window. He watches the firefight with Chris um, getting shot in the leg and the FBI agents. He he watches his father get his head bashing against a car. He sees his mother get pummeled with, you know, the hammer of pain. He, he sees all of this violence. He sees his mother being chased by a big goon with a gun shooting at her. He's the, the, it's so important to, to appreciate all of that violence is witnessed from his point of view because that's all coming into him. Exactly. That's going to have ramifications. You, you put together that kind of pain and hurt together with the sucker of Charlie Manx's soothing, seductive words, and you're, you're just creating a potential nightmare for this kid having a messed up mind. Yeah, because at this point, I mean, where else is he going to go? He's stuck in the car. Christmas land might just kind of sound good at this point with all that craziness happening. And, you know, I, Again, Manx is kind of not quite keeping his cool, and he's trying to spin the stories to, to Wayne, and he's trying to convince him that, well, you, you wanted to go to Christmas Land. You know, you were dreaming about it. I don't care how charming you are. It is super creepy to tell to a child, so we've been dreaming about each other, huh? Dude, you, you know, that's not cool, Charlie Manx. You, you really need to slow your roll <laughs> on, uh, on having dream dates with the eight-year-old little boy. Um, but but we're getting way ahead of ourselves. Let's back up because tonight also featured the return of title cards, which we hadn't seen in a little while. What did yeah, you think yeah. of of seeing all these? And they all had their own little designs when they introduced Wayne or Vic, uh, you know, respectively. Uh, and the first one is Wayne with the hourglass. What what was your impression of the hourglass man here? We finally got to see him in action. Yeah, that that first of all, that's my favorite drawing of all of them, and um, I feel like uh, Rocket Raccoon from Guardians of the Galaxy. But I'm gonna get me that prop. I want that hourglass prop so bad. It's so cool. The hourglass is super, the hourglass is super cool. My favorite was the doc. The doc drawing was my favorite of the title cards tonight. But oh, the, sure, sure, sure. The hourglass <laughs> prop though is pretty freaking cool. The doc, the doc is definitely my second favorite. Definitely, that one was nice too. But the hourglass sort of kicked it off, and and really, I, I had a blast seeing each one. Because yeah, you're right. We hadn't seen any in a little bit, and oh, seeing the hourglass in action, it it sort of really reminded me a lot about the character pusher from X Files, who would get in people's heads and make them do things. And I love that he kind of had a trigger phase or trigger phrase. Um, May I have a moment of your time? I mean, he's like not even my favorite strong creative we've seen, but I just really dig the hell out of his style. I love how he speaks. I love his class. I just love his whole vibe. If AMC were smart, they would make Christmas ornaments out of these props <laughs> because I would buy a ton of them. But I'm, I'm, I digress. What did you think about this guy? Did you think he was as smooth as I do? Uh, he was super smooth. I, I, I really like that about him because there's no obvious villainy about him. You know, in, in, in a lot of ways, very similar to Charlie Manx. Charlie Manx, when he's composed, 
doesn't necessarily come off particularly villainous. Maybe he comes off, in, you know, well, at least young Charlie Manx um, comes off pretty smooth in, in his interactions. You know, and, and the Hourglass Man is him plus. He, he's, like, dapper and, and composed and smooth to, like, the nth degree. This is the kind of guy you get the impression that if, if a hair was out of place, he would stop and smooth it down before continuing on whatever else he was doing, even if it was killing someone or running them off the road or whatever it was. He's, he's keeping it tight, and he's keeping himself well put together. Uh, I, I loved, I just loved how his smooth approaches. I cried once when I got a ticket for not having my seatbelt on. If I had two FBI agents draw their guns on me just for being in the wrong place at the wrong time, I think I'd probably shit myself. And he's just kind of like, hey, you know, I must have just gotten turned around. And he's so smooth with the hourglass. Again, he's got these two FBI agents with their gun, and you're, and you're whipping out this hourglass. They're telling you, put the thing down, and he just flips it over and sets the, sets the Jedi mind trick in motion. And I love the whole Jedi mind trickness. And I love that now they're both their necks. Yeah, <laughs> they're both their necks just turn to the side and look to the hourglass. That was a great little moment. Nice little touch on, on sort of how that power worked and, and you know, that it that it's the hourglass that's basically keeping the spell in a way. And then when you think back to when he was first introduced with his bleeding ear, if his power is like a mind control thing, then to me personally, it makes sense that his ear would bleed as a cost. I don't know. I guess, you know, we'll still have to find that out maybe, but that's my guess. And I think that makes a lot of sense. Uh, but uh, for me, the, the, the big takeaway here was the time limited nature of it. Because, because one, I like, I like when there are rules. I like when a show or a movie, you know, introduces a supernatural or a science fiction-like concept. And here it's a supernatural concept, but gives you rules to it. It's not an unlimited ability because in the video game world, we refer to characters who have, you know, immense strength that can't be beaten. We, we call them OP or overpowered uh, characters. And movies and, and uh, supernatural film and, are littered with these kinds of characters who are just poorly thought out because their power set is so strong, they can never realistically be beaten. So with the Hourglass Man here, we're given right off the bat a, 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 a terminus to his power. He's got this mind control power. It's a tremendous ability. He gives hypnotic suggestion to these two FBI agents and puts them completely under his control. But there's a time limit on it, though. So that's just good writing because it, it gives him a, a vulnerability to him, which we get to see then yeah. in action. I mean, Chris McQueen survives yeah. because Wayne is able to cause a distraction right at the end of the, time, the sand running out of the hourglass. That's fantastic. I yeah, love that. I that's really smart. I love smart. that. It, it's a, it, 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 exactly. It gives him a limitation. And, and then it also, it made you think back because remember he says to the agent, save some time for yourself. So it was like, right as the hourglass was running out, that agent shot himself in the head. So that's basically was telling them like, take yourself out at the end, which again was very, reminded me a lot of Pusher from the X-Files because he did that with the, with the cops. He would make them shoot themselves in the head, but it's just, it's so classy. It was so well done. I loved, I loved the whole angle of it. Um, so yeah, that was a lot of fun and really exciting. There was a season, there was an, uh, a scene in the first episode of Evil this past season um, where one of the uh, one of the incels shoots himself uh, in the head via up through his neck. 
And I remember talking about that at the time, thinking it's one of the most visceral things I've seen on television, especially especially broadcast television. You don't see a lot of suicide on screen, uh, especially no. via gun. Not on network TV. And so watching Agent Chen do that tonight, taking the time out, you know, as he was instructed um, before the time runs out of the hourglass to, to do that, it's such a it's such a violent way to end any life, but especially your own life. And so, I, I, again, I give, I give Jamie, I give the team a lot of credit for going there. This season is all about them just going there, taking it to that next level and, and bringing you the, the kind of edge of your seat story and not backing away from it. You know, if this was anywhere else, if this was any other creative team, I don't think, I don't think you get as balls to the wall I can't believe I just watched that on television kind of thing. And tonight is filled with those moments. The the over and over again hitting her on the back with the with the hammer, the shooting, you know, Agent Chen shooting himself in the in the head. Uh it, it's it's just uh it's next level uh violence, but in a way that's not gratuitous as much as it is really amping up the stakes of what it, it, making you really feel there are there are there are high stakes here that we're playing for. It's it's the impact. Makes hitting Vic on the back each time with that hammer. And you see her struggling and you know, I almost feel like that that's almost a metaphor for this episode because it just kept hitting me like with the hammer. Every few minutes, you didn't, I didn't know what was coming next. Yeah, you're 100% right. You're 100% right. But let, let's move on, though. What did you think of the of Lou picking up on the gas and putting that together so, so fast? We get the, you know, smells like cookies line. And thank God Lou knows exactly what's going on. He knows Bing is there. He knows that gas is there. And he tries to get him out. And then Wayne has to be right there and see Lou get knocked out, <laughs> basically cold by this giant monster Bing. So, yeah, that was kind of crazy. Lou's really smart, but, man, you kind of feel bad he gets taken out, like, in the first 10 minutes of the episode like that. But that is also kind of being true to story. I mean, I think Lou's oh, sure. already he's already pushing the limits of his of his capabilities. He doesn't – I think it, it's always really important for us to remember – that Lou is in this world of strong creatives of these supernatural people, but he's just a civilian here. He's like Chris. He's like Linda. He he's he's he he's adjacent to the power, but him he himself doesn't have power. So I give him a lot of credit for being as on the ball with everything happening as he is. If not for his supernatural comic book nerd aficionado status, he probably would be much more like Chris, who who literally takes a bullet in his leg for him to really realize what is happening here and become a believer. Lou is more able to get on board with it because, you know, he, he, he lives in the world of fantasy and, and what he likes to watch and read. But again, I think he's really far outpacing his actual skill set here in this episode. So I give him a lot of credit. I do too, actually. I mean, and especially... He's already been up against Bing before and got away and got good licks in. So we know that, you know, he can actually handle himself really well. And we see that because he later does return and tries to get Wayne out of the race. Uh, unfortunately, it doesn't quite go so well again. But, you know, he keeps coming back and bless him. He's doing everything he can do to save his family. Everything you can. Not unlike uh, Ashley Roman's uh, character, you know, Tabitha Hutter last week, going up against Bing and, and kept getting up. 
Luke keeps getting up. I mean, he gets his ass handed to him and uh, still tries to save his kid at the end. Gets his head bashed in by Charlie and is still able to give that great line ring, which introduced this episode, the find him, kill him uh, line that we played at the top of this episode. Yeah, so I give Lou a lot of credit, but uh, I just before we move on too far from here, I want to give Jason David just a huge shout out for his line reading of It Smells Like Cookies. And then he gives like this little giggle. It, it's such yeah. a great reminder <laughs> that... This is like an eight-year-old kid. That would be funny. If you're on laughing gas right before you pass out, you'd probably find it smells like cookies in here. <laughs> I just It was just a really great line reading from him, so I wanted to make sure I gave him a shout-out and props. Yeah, he's amazing through this whole episode, but that was a really, really cute moment. And honestly, this, epi- this episode had humor in it. There were some humorous moments, which surprised me, and that I loved so much because too many series take themselves way too seriously and they don't have that little bit of edge. And this, this show also has a humor to it. And it's, and it's sometimes it's, it's twisted. It, well, most of the time it's twisted, but it's there and it, and it, it helps keep that levity. You know, it helps keep us going. And like you said, Lou is often a source of that. You know, so far this season, you know, like another moment that stuck out was when, you know, at the end we have Manx talking to Wayne and he's supposedly driving the Wraith, but he's not driving at all the whole time. And you kind of see Wayne reacting to that. And it's just so sort of in your face, tongue in cheek, cheeky kind of thing. And I, I love that humor that they sort of still throw in, even in these really intense, batshit crazy horror episodes. But but you need those kind of safety valves, though, too, or else you would just lose your mind. If it, if it was just horror and adrenaline rushing action all the time, it would be too, too much to take. Um, so you need those you need those kinds of release valve moments of levity. Um, you know, to your point about Lou already come up against Bing, that was a much more fair fight in a way because there was distance between them. Lou had time to really kind of put it together. Bing is just in his fury in this episode. He's not going to be bested or walk away with no Wayne McQueen tonight. He bum rushes them when they come out of the cabin with the gas mask already on. He's ready to spring into action. So I, you know, I don't even give, I can't even fault Lou. I don't know who doesn't get taken down by that giant of a man with the gas in his face. Yeah, Lou never even had a chance, literally. But that, you know, this is just the first of the fury moments, the kind of unhinged Bing moments that we really, that we've really never seen before. But we see all through tonight, and he chases them down, and he hoists them up. There's something so disturbing about such a big guy one-handedly grabbing Wayne and just hoisting him in the air high above his head. It's like, it's like something you would see from like the WWF in the '80s. You know, when like one of those big wrestlers would pick up a smaller guy and just like a rag doll, just, you know, hold him up like like he was nothing more than a toy. I mean, if, you know, if Tabitha was a rag doll for him last week, I don't even know. Wayne is like what, like a bathtub toy to Bing. You know, he's so tiny as compared to him. What, did, what was your reaction of seeing Wayne in the back of the Wraith for that first time? I was totally frightened. I mean, <laughs> As much as you think that maybe Wayne is safe, I don't, I'm starting to think he's not so safe anymore. And that's, you know, another thing that I love about this show is that it, it does play with those expectations. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I try to separate the book and sort of what happens in the book versus the show. So I, I also have to kind of tamper those expectations. This show completely has me along for its specific ride. I am always in fear of Wayne. 
at this point based on these characters, based on how they've set it up, based on the emotional pull that I've had in this this show now. I'm 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 constantly worried, constantly worried for Wayne. So I really had no idea what was gonna happen with him. And I honestly I really didn't expect to see him still in the race at the end either. What about you? This, well, this is the halfway episode, right? And I and I feel like we we've been building towards something horrible happening. We know that Manx and Bing have had their eyes set on getting Wayne, you know, for a few episodes now. So it, it almost felt like if it was going to happen, this had to be the episode, right? Because this is the midway point, and so now it's just if it's a climb to the top of a mountain on like a roller coaster, and then you have the big dip. I feel like tonight was the climb to the top of the roller coaster, but now the roller coaster is going to keep going up. You know, we're not at the point here where we do that first big drop yeah. on the roller coaster, <laughs> uh, which, I, again, I don't know that my heart can really tank it. One of the most traumatic things here is the end of this first vignette, this first Wayne uh, title card scene, is the shot where the camera comes around and we see Vic looking kind of deranged, the detonator in her hands, and she lets out that, Manx! Oh my god. As we go to commercial. I was like, holy shit! And the episode just got going. I, I didn't know what to do with myself. Yeah, I had the same reaction, and I was looking at the time of, of how far we were into the episode, because it was just full-on war already. Ten minutes in. Boom. There are there are bodies, literally bodies littering the floor at the cabin as we go into this commercial break. Question for I don't know if you had the same question, but I wrote in my notes. Where did Chris go? The last time we saw him, he was crawling over to the FBI agent, you know, Agent Chen who had just shot himself, and then we don't see him again. Where where is his body? I was looking for it. I didn't see it on the ground. Where did Chris go to? I, I was also wondering where he went, and I was thinking he probably just kind of crawled into the bushes trying to kind of nurse his wound or something. That was my only guess at the time, and it, it seemed like you know I, I'm guessing that's what he did after what happens later. But so we come back, and now we have the first Vic title card, and it's Vic with uh, the Charlie Manx patented hammer of horror or hammer of pain as I like to call it what was your first take here as we saw her come out of the shorter way and close it and, and as she kind of sneaks around did you pick up immediately on kind of what the show is doing backing it up slightly in time and, and giving us this uh, meanwhile kind of narrative oh definitely at, th at that point once once we saw the next title card and we saw that it was Vic that you know, I kind of guessed that we were kind of going to go back and forth. But I also really love that, yes, it, it, it sort of took us back a little bit. But then each time with each vignette from each perspective, we also saw the plot move forward more. And we got to see more of each of these characters. So, again, it was just a really clever way of playing with how to tell the story and how to bring us into the story. Because you're you're brought in as that point of view so you're sneaking around with Vic and you're seeing that she finds the gas she finds Lou she gets the detonator and you oh and Ashley Cummings is so amazing with that fury with those her closed fists yelling at Manx and you just you feel all of that you're there with her the whole time it was just so great I, I was just so excited the way that, that it was playing out it's such a credit to the character that they've developed the Vic McQueen character that it's totally believable that 
she doesn't need a lot of clues to put together what is going on here. She she looks she's smart enough to creep up on the cabin and look in the window. She she sees the gas and the hose in the vent system. She doesn't hesitate. She doesn't say, "I wonder what's going on." You know, she knows. She just she gets what is happening here. She is she is a warrior and she is in warrior mode. Finds Lou. She she gets a detonator, which fills in that blank of how did she have the detonator? You know, before the last commercial break. You know, piggybacking on what you said. Yeah, when they back up the story, they bring you forward, and then they progress the story. One of the great things that this episode does is it pays attention to so many of the details that left you hanging in the previous uh, vignette section. So how did she get the detonator? Oh, you're going to find out now. What happened to Chris? Oh, you're going to find out later. All of those questions that leave you in, in a particular section, the show does a great job of filling in those blanks and then also moving you forward. Did you think at any point that she was going to pull the, pull the trigger on the Anfo and blow the, blow the wraith with her son inside? Not at all. Not at all. You could just see the look on her face. You could see her struggling. You could see her struggling yeah, with was. that she idea. Yeah. And knowing and knowing that she just can't do it. That her hate hatred of Manx is not greater than her love of Wayne. And that's what it showed you right there. And that was important to see. Yeah. And then she had to hightail it. Oh my god. It's that mother son bond though, right? I, I, I... You could, you could make an argument that there was no person she loved more in season one than Craig, and yet she still manages to sacrifice him for the greater good of saving the world from Charlie Manx. You know, not to make a Spock reference here with Zach Quinto, the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few. Uh, here she can't do it because of that mother Samban that we were talking about at the top of the episode. This is an example of that. It's, it's just not the same. No matter how much she loved Craig, she was able to make the sacrifice. What did you think of the, of the stunt work and, and how she gets hoisted high into the air? You're a particular fan of all the production work that goes on in the show. The, behind, you know, the things that we don't necessarily <laughs> think about. And, and the stunt people being one of those. What, what did you think when you see her yeah. get high hoisted into the air and get mowed down? I think I rewatched those few seconds probably about 10 times um, just because it was so cool to see. And, and it was even crazier than the scene from season one, I think, when, when Maggie got hit with the wraith and, and it sent her flying. So, you know, I know that the stunt coordinator, Al Goto, uh, probably, you know, had a lot of work to do for this episode because it, it is. It's a lot of action and a lot of people flying and things getting hit and people getting hit and knocked in the head and this and that so it must have been an insane thing to shoot not the last time that she gets knocked into the air in this episode yeah, either. yeah <laughs> twice <laughs> yeah it's just amazing i mean did you have the same kind of reaction where you just sort of like oh my god when, when that happens you can literally see it coming you can see you can see the determination on charlie's face to run her down which by the way is probably a first clue that this is not just about kidnapping wayne as much as it is about him just trying to excise his demons and vendetta against Vikir, because if he was being smart and really wanted to get Wayne and get him to Christmas land, he would have, he had the kid. All he had to do was go. But no, he drives through the fence, he mows her down. It was more like you could watch it coming and you couldn't look away like a, like a car crash. Uh, I had to watch it and I was still stunned when I saw it happen, even though I, I knew it was going to happen. There's also that great moment where you change perspectives and you're inside the car and you're watching it from where Wayne is sitting. So you then see her flying from the front of the car. So it's like they had to do it that way too. And, and it just, it was really, it was really amazing that, that you, know, you don't usually get to see different 
different views of, of, of something like that. And, and so I know that had to be a lot of work. Definitely. It, it, and and it, it really, they pulled it off so well. It was really great. Big, big shout out to go to stunts. And, you know, if you're on, if you follow Jamie on Twitter, you'll, you'll see her credit him a lot in these episodes and giving, uh, giving their, that stunt company a big shout out for all the great work that they do here. And this episode, I mean, if the Emmys were smart and they had a stunt category which they absolutely should so should the oscars which they don't uh, th this would be a submission reel for sure for, for the stunt work being done here and that's coming off of that fantastic fight between bing and tabitha and manx last week which also it was chock full and you know hardcore stunt work this episode actually makes that look pretty tame so yeah i give them a lot a lot of credit uh, let, let's fast forward what was more disturbing to you manx's verbal beatdown of of Vic literally unleashing every every bit of vitriol he has against her and women in general, or the physical blows that he's landing on her back and, and hammering her into the ground. I kind of enjoyed the verbal beatdown. <laughs> so I would say probably the physical part was what what impacted me the most because again, you know, Ashley did a great job. Ashley Cummings did a great job of, of, of showing uh, pain and conflict and, and fear and anger sort of all wrapped up together in those moments that, that she's just getting repeatedly hammered with that, with that bone hammer. I, I guess, uh, I don't know. It was, it's like a weird combination of, of sort of giddiness because you've also got Manx who is sort of looking his most beautiful at the same time with his hair looking perfect and and you know it is so this weird conflict going on we, girl we need to talk about what attracts you we, we need to have a discussion offline because you are <laughs> you're 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 you woo, you are uh you are putting some vibes out into the universe you're gonna go find yourself a little charlie no Nights i'm just talking own. about what's good tv <laughs> <laughs> i'm just talking about what's making good tv i'm just talking about good tv that's all that's all <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! Oh, my god. oh no! Oh, it's so um, funny. No, uh, it was it was it, it was crazy. It was, <laughs> it was it was peak unhinged. I mean, and again, we not I don't want to beat a dead horse to death, but or beat a dead Vic to death, but he's just completely unhinged here. You you hear about people who like box, right? And they love to go like beat up on the heavy bag because it helps get out all of their frustrations and all of their anger. That's what Charlie's doing here. He is using Vic as a literal test dummy and just wailing on her, except for she's a living human being. And he, I don't even know that he wanted to kill her as much as just much make her feel pain of every kind, internal and external pain. It's punishment. Yeah. It's punishment. It's, it's punishment for everything that women have done to him his whole life Real i mean this magic. is like a hundred years of yes this is a hundred years of charlie manx's issues focused on yeah. a bone hammer for me the the power of the scene was less actually about his actions versus the editing and the fantastic job that the show does of of her kind of retreating inside herself and having these memories of wayne yes. which kind of keep her going like literally like a like a lighthouse keeping, you know, sh you know, boats, you know, from, from crashing. The, her memories of Wayne here 
keep her afloat and keep her conscious and keep her in the fight. And then literally when he says to her, you know, no, mom, you're supposed to play dead. And then she realizes she stops getting up, which is what is egging Charlie on. It's her raising her back after every blow. Her, her failure to submit is what is what keeps egging Charlie on here. And she finally hears Wayne's words in her memories and plays dead. And, and so I, I love that the light inside of her that is Wayne is what saves her life here in the very real world. We also hear for our benefit, if you had forgotten, that uh, her bike jacket that she wears has the metal plates in it to protect her. But also for her own sake, hearing him say play dead and she finally gets it, that gets through to her. She's able to restrain herself from just her knee-jerk reaction of fighting against Charlie and hear Wayne's like words in her head of playing dead. One other great clue here, because it's just one of these details that will come back in the next vignette, is you hear this banging throughout her throughout her memory trip of Wayne. You hear the thump, 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 and him calling for help interspersed. And you don't really know where that's coming from. Uh, it's just kind of cut in into like her days. And it's a great detail because it'll pay off in the next scene. So it was just something that I wanted to point out for you know eagle-eyed viewers and listeners. And I, I love when scenes sort of bounce and play off of each other and the editing can kind of take us through in that way. And, and also, you know, I love just for that split second, they did show us, you know, that, that inner core of her jacket where the hammer hit and then that, that split did happen. So, I mean, that saved her life. Wayne basically saved her life in that moment when you really think about it because it also, I think, and yeah, I mean, good point of just, sort of how beautiful those scenes were of her memories while at the same time we're going through this trauma with her so it was also just it was really complex you know emotionally as you're watching it and then it really I think just tripled the payback when she does turn around and starts getting her licks in on Manx and she's able to kick in and she's able to get the bone hammer and hit him again and then slash his face. And I don't know if it's intentional or not, but it immediately reminded me of the Joker grin. So it again, tied into the whole Batman idea again and knocked him cold in the head. I had the same so, exact thought about Okay, good. I'm glad I wasn't the only one. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it, it, that was just amazing because it, it, it really showed that Vic is also completely going apeshit with her fury, her emotion. She's letting it all out. She's taking it out on the wraith. And it's also, we see it affecting Charlie. So we're getting those, those little, you know, moments of the core mythologies kind of still happening as we go through the episode. I mean, there's just so much going on. You know, it, there's so many details, like you said, that I just, it's, I marveled at sort of how they, they've shot this and put it all together. I mean, what did you think about, you know, how, you know, Vic then started going off uh, right back at him? I, I think it's that power of Wayne. I think that spirit within her that is him I think is what really is what is able to allow her to kind of channel her fury, right? Because he's in the, Manx is in the middle of telling her, you know, if, if you had a grateful bone in your body, you'd say thank you. And then she, she gives that great kick and then she slashes him and then she gives it, she says thank you to him. You know, again, a little bit of humor, just yeah. a little dash of humor, but also real badass moment. Like another, another one of these like yeah. Linda, Linda Hamilton and Terminator 2 kind of like badass female moments. Yeah. Ripley and Alien, yeah, definitely. Right. Just a couple more things to keep an eye in here because it'll come back to play. 
uh, pay attention to her banging on the glass and as she wakes Wayne up in the backseat, right, because obviously he must have been gassed by Bing. One thing that struck out to me here, kind of in the in the same vein of where did Chris go from the first section, I was thinking, where's Bing during this whole scene? You know, we see him in the car, he's got his gas mask on, but he's not coming to save his master. Even after he, when she turns the tide and starts beating him up and slashes his face and then starts beating up on the wraith, there's still no Bing immediately. What is he doing? Why does he have a gas mask on? Uh, you know, we don't really know that yet. So it was one of those, what's happening here with that? And then one thing I want to just note is, you know, she runs around the car and she realizes that she can't get into the wraith to get him out. She knows, and he knows, Wayne knows, that they're going to be parted here for a second. And, you know, I give a lot of credit to Wayne for being awesomely calm in such a situation. I would be a puddle. Um, and for Vic for realizing when she's beat and when she has to push. That, that's that's real character growth because season one Vic would just keep going at it until it cost her her life. In this episode, she shows a real strategy, a real mind for thinking about her situation. And she kind of knows when she's licked, right? So she comes up on the side of the car, on the driver's side of the car, and she says, Wayne, uh, you know, hey, Wayne, no matter where he takes you, I'll always find you and I always love you. She, she realizes she's not going to get to him and that this is going to be it for them for right now, that he is going to get taken away from her, uh, which which I liked. I liked her having that moment of clarity. But just pay attention to her saying, hey, Wayne, uh, no matter where he takes you, because, again, that's going to come back into play uh, just for the eagle-eyed you know, fans who like, who like paying attention to all the minutiae. This is the kind of thing that you find in a show at, like, the season finale kind of, kind of confrontation. Everything we see tonight is, like, season finale-level confrontation. This is, just our, this is just our halfway point of this season. That's insane. And everybody gets messed up. Everybody gets fucked up in this episode. Everybody. I mean, it, it just, it's, it's only, up, and it's only halfway through the season. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm so excited to see what happens because this was so wild and so heavy in, in almost every way. You said last week you didn't know where, where, you know, what was going to happen, where we were going to take it, what was going to break. But yeah, I'm going to need a hyperventilating bag or something at this point because it's too much. They're, they're not giving us a break at all here. So we come back from commercials. I mean, again, Jesus, the scene ends with Bing firing after Vic and watching her literally dive into the lake in that, with that heavy motorcycle jacket on. Who knows where that's going to go to? And so we come back from the break and the title card is back to Wayne. And now it's the shattered glass drawing which is just ominous, right? I mean, we saw the Wraith get beat up, but there's something very kind of, oh, this makes me worried, sense about shattered glass as the drawing here. So we back up to Manx, uh, you know, Manx in the car. We're in the car now at the point of view where he decides to run her down. What did you think of the two Bing-isms that we got? We got two, which is rare, and both of them are really kind of, really super nasty for Bing. What, what did you think of them? It, they're just so petty, but so bang, you know, uh, boys who make filthy noise get no toys. Boys who yelp get no help. Oh, man. He just always has to, like, say the creepiest stuff because you just know underneath he just would probably tear that kid apart if Manx wasn't sitting there. Absolutely. Absolutely. We we start to get a couple of payoffs from the last vignette that I that I had, you know, placed in my own notes as I was watching it, and that's, that's why I wanted to bring it up, because it's just, it's just, again, a good production detail. It's just it less to do with the actual story and the impact of the story versus I appreciate 
it as good art and good television. At the same time, Charlie is beating Vic down on the ground, and we we were we know from the last uh, section of the episode she's having memories of Wayne as she's doing that. That culminates with the play dead. We we remembered from there that she's hearing banging the entire time, muffled cries for help, interspersed with her memories. Well, now that we're getting Wayne's POV, we see while he's getting, while she's getting that beatdown, he's literally banging on the glass of the wraith. So it's just a good way to tie in the two, the two sections. They didn't need to do that. They didn't really need to put in that detail. But again, this whole season is about, fuck it, we're going for it. We're just going to go for it. And this is a great example of that. That's a, that's a production detail you don't need. That's, that's next level TV. That's... That's peak television creation right there, and I give them so, so much credit for those kinds of details. The same reason. Why was Bing sitting in the car when Vic started to beat the shit out of Charlie Manx instead of rushing out and sitting in there with his gas mask on? Well, we learn in this vignette, because his, his attention is turned backwards towards Wayne and torturing him with saying all the nasty things he's going to do to him, like bite his cheek off, calling him a pretty girl, the things he's going to do to his mother— and then he's gassing him. So his, he's not focused after a while on what's happening in front of the Wraith. His, his attention is focused backwards. Just great little production details of getting to see the different points of view. Yeah, um, those details, they help, they help clue us in and cue us as to where we are in the story without having to just sort of obviously spell it out in a way that almost insults our intelligence. It really... It's it's not for, for people who want everything spoon-fed to them. It lets you have to pick up on these clues, and it, right. and it makes you, you know, have to reference in your mind, oh, yeah, that just happened, you know, in that scene, but from a different point of view. I know where I am in time now, blah, 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 blah. You know, it's just a really clever way of bringing us through each of these different characters and what's going on as it ties into Vic and Wayne each time. You're exactly right. It's the same way that you could watch Lost back in the day and not follow every clue down the rabbit hole it would take you. And you'd still be able to, you could still enjoy the show on a very surface level because it was just a good show. But for those that wanted to take the time and really delve deep into the minutia, it was, it was that next level of rewarding that's what they're doing in this episode. And as the kind of person who I stop, you know, I, I pause screens. I read all the little details. I read the slips of paper. Again, not to cross-pollinate with the yep, Alienist podcast. Here. But there's a ton of stuff in the Alienist where they focus on these kind of minutiae details. If you like this show, you would also very much like that show. It's dark. It's heavily detailed. It has a big lore. They drop tons of clues that allow you to draw, enjoy the show you can enjoy the show on a very surface level, or you can get an even deeper appreciation of the show when you're paying attention to these little clues that they've placed here for you. Anna, this is super important, I, and I, I want to see what your take on this was, because I had a very specific take on it. Bing gets very excited about all the things he's going to do at Christmas Land, all of his big plans for Christmas Land when he arrives there. And Charlie very carefully chooses his words and says, Upon your arrival at Christmas Land, there will be a feast beyond your imagination. And this makes Bing very, very excited. What was your take on Charlie's words there to Bing? <laughs> I'm pretty sure, like maybe 98.999% sure that Manx plans on feeding Bing to his kids. I mean, even the score, you know, it, it, the, the score even kind of dropped a couple notes after he, Manx said that line. Because you know that 
Bing doesn't have a place in Christmas land. He's totally using Bing. We all know it. We see it. He just manipulates him through this whole thing. And Bing falls for it. Once again, he just has no idea. No idea whatsoever. I mean, did, did you get the same idea? Come on, right? In my notes, I wrote, words matter, Bing. Manx is going to eat you up and feed you to his kids. You are not hearing his words. Uh, you know, I have I have words matter Bing here in all capital letters with lots of underscoring and exclamation points. I like how you write the notes to Bing. <laughs> I like how your note is actually written to Bing. <laughs> it was like watching a girlfriend tell her boyfriend that they're breaking up and the boyfriend just not understanding the words and thinking that they were totally cool and going on a date that night. That's what it was kind of like. Like Bing is not translating in the Charlie Minx translator. Uh, what the actual words here mean. So, Bing boy, you are in trouble. <laughs> you best think rethink your allegiances. So, Bing is saying some really nasty things to Wayne in this scene before he gasses him, not only to the things he wants to do to Wayne, or would do if not for Charlie Manx, but the things he would do to his mother, and he says that threatening line that I'm not as nice as Mr. Manx. Wayne says you shouldn't do that because that'll make Charlie Banks very upset with you. What was your take on that line? Was that just a throwaway line? I didn't even remember that line. <laughs> so maybe it was. I think it is in large part a throwaway line, but I thought it was a really good example of how smart a kid Wayne is. That was, oh, sure. that was my takeaway. Oh, yeah. because, Definitely. Because he, knew, he has put enough together. He has psychologically profiled these two together in just this little interaction to get the impression that if he can invoke Charlie Manx, Bing will back down. And that's exactly what happens. We can never, ever forget how special and smart a kid Bruce Wayne McQueen is. And I think that was the lesson of that line. Think about the fear and, and anxiety he, as a kid, anyone would have in that backseat at that moment, but still have the wherewithal to come up with, you shouldn't hurt me because Mr. Manx, you know, is going to be very unhappy with you if you do. That's a fucking smart kid, Anna. I wouldn't come up with that line. I would be like, please, please don't hurt me, please, you know. That would be me in the backseat. Yeah, for him for him to really sort of get that he's important to Manx at that point was definitely good thinking. So in the same way Vic was having memories of, of Wayne as she was getting beat by Charlie, as Wayne is getting gassed, he starts having memories of Vic, right? And he's remembering Halloween and Fourth of July. Why those two holidays, do you think? Obviously, no Christmas land, because the team McCarmody doesn't celebrate Christmas. But did you, did you think there was anything interesting why it was Halloween and Fourth of July he was thinking about as he was falling asleep? Well, just because of what you said, they don't celebrate any other holidays, so those are going to be his memories, the, the holidays that they do celebrate, his family memories, the good times, his favorite moments. So, yeah, it makes sense as a kid. You you would remember, you know, the flashiest, you know, celebrations. Um, so after Christmas, you would probably think Fourth of July or birthday or Halloween or what have you. So, yeah, it made sense to me. Um, and it was a nice touch, again. Also, we do know that she loves Fourth of July. Fourth of July was always a big McQueen holiday. So I think it's just a nice hat tip that even though she doesn't see her parents anymore, she's raised Wayne to enjoy 4th of July to the point where he would have a memory of it. But moreover, I thought I liked the scene just because it was such a perfect symmetry to what his mother experienced, reaching out to him in her mind as she was going under. He similarly reaches out to her in his mind as he's going under. You know, he's not thinking about Luke here. He's, he's, it's the bond with his mother that he's focusing on. And in the same way, his banging kind of kept her uh, afloat. It's her banging on the window now 
is why I pointed out in the last vignette, it's her banging on the window now that brings him back to consciousness. So it's just a great parallel in, in, these, in these last two scenes of being semi-defeated by their enemy and then being brought back to life by their bond together. Again, you can enjoy it without thinking about it that far, but if you kind of go down the rabbit hole of, of what you're actually seeing, the show is just doing a really good job here of reinforcing this mother-son bond that they have. Exactly, and again, it just goes to show you how well thought out this whole piece is. You know, the writing, direction, everything. Everything has a purpose. You know, every little moment has has a has a meaning to it. So, uh, the, I wanted to see if you caught this because you you are a bit of an eagle eye, uh, and I, I think some of our eagle eye viewers and listeners may have may find this also. I pointed out uh, in the end of the of the Vic version of this scene. She comes up against the driver's side. She realizes she can't get to him. She says, Wayne, uh, no matter where he takes you, I'll find you. I love you. Never forget that. And then she runs off as Bing continues to shoot. There is a slight difference here when it's the Wayne POV of the same scene. Did you catch it? I don't think I did. Maybe it's unintentional. So in the Vic version of the story, she says, Wayne. Wayne hears it. Hey, bats, no matter where he takes you, I'll find you. I love you no matter what. It, it's it's identical except for Vic says Wayne. Wayne hears her say bats. Uh, I don't think it would be unintentional. I don't think that was an accidental. You know that maybe they had two different line readings for Ashley to do, but they very he very clearly she says bats when it's his point of view, and in the, in the scene before, she says when it's her point of view. She's outside the car and we hear it. She says, "Hey Wayne." I don't know. Go, go give it a listen. Maybe I'm crazy, but I don't think so. I listened to it a bunch, and I don't. I can't even tell you what made me realize it. But I think it was hearing bats made me stop, and I was like, I don't think, I don't think that's what she said. And I went back and I played it. I played them both a couple of times, and she definitely says Wayne, and then it, and then says bats when it's from Wayne's POV. Interesting, right? I don't know. Maybe it's maybe it's just a product of him sort of coming out of the gas and and sort of hearing that mixed in with his visions yeah you know or or just how he understands his mother referring to him only because it was different and this show is has really shown a good attention to detail it, it made me stop as something as maybe like an easter egg for us to pay attention to maybe I, maybe we asked jamie and she's like no it was it was just two different line readings and we just accidentally used it but i'm gonna go with it symbolizes some some way that he relates to how his how he sees his mother and how he like reacts to her. But I thought it was an interesting little detail. So all right, we'll go with it. Yeah, I'll we'll go with it. it. We're going. We're going. <laughs> we're going with intentional and some unseen deep meaning. Yeah, yeah, I like that. So my God, okay, we've got poor Wayne seeing mom run off, being chased by Bing, shooting, dives into a lake. And he's kind of stuck there in the wraith by himself. So what's he try to do? And what any kid would probably try to do, what I would probably try to do, and that's jump into the front seat. What did you think about that little effect that we got to see there? That was fun. He just sort of ends up right back in the seat back. It was a great callback to season one where you can't, where if you're in the back seat, you can't go forward in the front seat. I, I like that. We hadn't seen that effect again in a while. And I like just the show being consistent. He's troubleshooting. He's in active trying to escape mode, which I appreciate. So think about how frustrating that must have been to him. Why, why won't this fucking car let me go forward? But I give him major props for remembering his cell phone and, and thinking to, you know, he knows he texts his dad, right? Because he knows his mom is otherwise engaged running away from the big guy with the gun. So he, he texts his dad. I think, again, so smart. 
I don't, would you have thought to use your cell phone at that moment? I don't know that I would have. Maybe just because we've got this kid who is a little bit smarter. I mean, maybe I wouldn't have, but I definitely see how Wayne would have because he's way smarter than I probably was at that same age. And I think he's he's he knows that he's got to do everything he can to get out because his mom is, is obviously not able to help at the moment. Thank goodness though Lou shows up yay Lou's awake he shows up at the window and he's there like you know hang on little dude I'll get you out and he's going at it with the axe at the back window it has absolutely no effect whatsoever I mean that that whole back seat area is like its own dimension or something right you could smash up the front part of the wraith but the back seat is like an armored car money truck you just cannot get it's Fort Knox you cannot get into it. It's uh, it's a really impressive uh, craftsmanship. And you think, but but you think, you think at that moment that Lou might be able to at least break that front window, um, you know, because you, you just want to have that hope at this point. Everybody is getting messed up. People have been shot, shot at, slashed, knocked over, gassed. And deepest soul, I wanted Lou to be able to bust that window before Charlie Banks shows up behind him. Oh, God. My calculation was this is going to end poorly. So this is what I was sitting here doing. I was thinking this is only episode five. They made Jonathan a series regular. Would they have made him a series regular to kill him in episode five? He would have had half of the season. I was doing all of the the Hollywood you know, agency contract work, <laughs> trying to decide if it was feasible for them to have promoted him to season regular, series regular, and then kill him in episode five. Because this was the kind of episode. This is, this is the kind of show where maybe they kill a major character. Yeah, I, I, I believe they would go there, and, you know, I respect a show that, that is willing to do that, and I really thought maybe this was the end, and then when he's just repeatedly, Manx comes up and starts bashing his head in, so much blood, Anna, so oh, much blood. So visceral, so much blood, so visceral, I felt that every every bit, yeah, I don't like seeing people get beat in the head, and I don't like seeing people get cut, so if it's one of the two... I have a big problem with it, and however they did that scene, it was so perfectly done because it just, I was totally convinced at that moment that Lou was just done for. Yeah, and then I mean, and then Manx has the great, I mean, this is just classic, you know, Quinto, right? Good news, Wayne, your father's coming to Christmas land with us. Uh, oh, <laughs> oh, what a way to, what a way to go to commercial. Yeah. Jesus Christ. Yeah. That's a good one. Definitely a good one. And I guess that basically brought us back to Vic's point of view, didn't it? At that uh, point? Yes. And it brought us back to the doc title card, right? So we come up and she's yes. having, she's, she's under the water. A great, great uh, effects team showing the bullets entering the water around her. Again, another detail that they didn't necessarily need to add, but I really appreciate the fact that they did show us the bullets, the constantly entering the water. Fantastic. Just a great a great attention to detail. Yeah, that was cool. Uh, what did you think was a uh, – well, I, I think the water gun while she's underwater is pretty obvious. But did you get any any sense of what the shower, you know, memory that she was having while she was underwater might have represented? I couldn't, I couldn't really crack that one. No, I couldn't really crack that one either. And I'd probably have to watch it again a couple of times and really kind of think about it some more. What do you think stressed her out more? Listening to Bank Holler from the dock? All of his nasty words about what they were going to do to Wayne or when Manx shows up and begins to really add to the, the Greek chorus of threats. 
that's a hard choice. I mean, Bing is, is definitely sort of represents more of the, the physical terror and, and makes more the psychological terror, at least to me. Um, so she's just sort of getting the worst of both of them, just directed right at her this whole time. It looked to me that, that maybe Manx might have been getting under her skin more. Just because he, he just, he knows the right things to say. He's, he's smarter than Bing. He knows her. He knows how, you know, taunting her about, about love, especially, um, you know, and, and, and sort of trying to make her feel guilty for, for her family being hurt at this point and, and turning her, you know, into the cause of all all this trauma. I mean, he's, he's very brilliant the way he twists things and, and you can see her, you know, struggling to kind of like keep her cool, stay in the water, not let it get to her to where she flies off and lets her location be known at that point. So it's a really nice balance and, and, and sort of tightrope walk that she had to do there. Continuing the idea of growth, Right. In the same way in the last scene where we were giving her a lot of props for having a strategic mind here, you know, not 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 staying at the wraith, trying to get Wayne out to the point where it costs her her life. She knows she's beat. And so she, she runs off to, so she can regroup and come at the problem from a different angle. Yeah, I think that's the same thing here. The going underwater to scream is just a nice visual because she's at her breaking point, but she knows if she reveals her location, it's game over. There is no hope at that point. As long as she's alive, she believes that she can save her son at some point in the future. If she exposes herself here and, and gets killed, no one else can do it. Maggie can't do it. Chris can't do it. Lou can't do it. No one can save her kid except for her. So she needs to keep her shit together or as well as together as she can. So going under the water uh, and, and, and seeing her mouth open, you know, to scream was such great was such a great uh, visual, but Ashley Cummings deserves a lot of credit here. I, I talked to a lot of actors, and one thing that comes up often is how hard close-up acting is, because it's all about your face. You have to convey all of your emotions with your face. No, no hand gestures, no body, you know, no body movement. It's all in your face, and here the camera is tight on her. And you see all of the pain in her face. You see all of her restraint being tested. And she sells it so well. All of the pain and anger and, and terror, it's all there in her face. And that's all Ashley. And I give her such credit for it. This is such a great scene for her. And it's not even the sort of height of, of her emotional abilities in this episode. You know, I mean, that it's, we're not even there yet. And, and she's all, she already blows you away, you know, almost every, every scene that she has throughout where you just see so much in her eyes uh, and, and just little, little trembles and little mannerisms where you just, you know that in her mind as she is playing this character that that she is thinking as this person because it really just comes right to the screen at me and i'm not a mother but every moment of this episode i felt for her and i felt for what it would be like to have my kid being taken like that and this part of me being ripped away and that bond being destroyed and everything that happens you know along the way in this episode um all of that is, is, you know, it's the writing and, and it's the direction and it's everybody coming together and it's all sort of, you know, focused out of Ashley and she's just 
she just blows me away, and especially in this one. And, and by the end, you know, has me in tears, basically. Did you think that it was Manx? Because I, cause I actually thought about this. We hadn't seen Chris in so long that I thought Manx shot Bing somehow, maybe in the leg, decided this was where he was going to end him or something. Uh, what, what was your reaction when you hear Bing's body slump to the ground? I didn't know what was going on for a second, but... But yeah, I mean, it really didn't give me a lot of time to to ponder. And yeah, I think maybe like you for just like a, 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 a tiny fraction of, of a moment thought that it might have like been Manx for some reason, like taking Bing down. But obviously not. Can I just please say how much I love Chris McQueen this season of Nosferatu? Last season, Chris, no, no, no. This season, Chris, is a rock star. I don't even care how he went out blazing, not even knowing what he was getting himself into this episode. He ends up basically kind of saving the day by breaking up this little gang up that's happening on his daughter in the water. What do you think about him? I have in my notes here, Chris McFucking Queen with an exclamation point. He doesn't need to understand the supernatural aspect of it. All he needs to understand is my family's in danger, and so I will exact as much violence as I need in order to try and protect them. That's what propels him at the beginning of the episode, and that's what's propelling him here now. Now, unfortunately, it also makes me really worry about his safety, because people who just go up against Charlie and Bing, it usually doesn't work out great for them. But here, it does, and saves Lou, right? Because he drives Manx off before he can get him in the boot of the Wraith. And and Bing takes off, you know, so he does really break up this invasion yeah. of his home. He goes total soldier of fortune on the whole scene. I mean, basically, I mean, I just love the fact that he, he physically got in between Bing and Manx, you know, so that he had that shot at, at Bing. And, and, and that I love how Bing gets up and then is chasing Chris, who's chasing Manx. I mean, it's just episode so insane. Everybody, like I said, everybody gets messed up. Everybody gets shot or beat or kicked or taken or something. Oh, my God. God, I mean, what, a, what an insane scene to, to have. And then talk about Bing's dreams being crushed. I mean, he was not a part of that getaway at that point. Do you think that that's sort of going to mess up his his faith in Manx going forward after that? I mean, we just saw him sort of scurry away like like a scared little child. This is now the second time that this season that he's been denied Christmas land. Uh, you know, the first time it happens, he literally throws him out of the car on the Christmas highway and, and sends him to the graveyard of what might be. And we talked about in that episode how there's a little fracture, a little micro expression on Bing's face of fucking serious, dude. Like, again, you did this to me all last season. You denied me Christmas land. Here, though, Charlie's literally under fire. So maybe it's a little more understandable that he drives up. But that being said, you add it to earlier in the season and he gets denied Christmas land and he was all, you know, getting hot and horny for being a Christmas land in this episode in the back, you know, talking about Mike and the sleigh coaster and all the stuff that's going to happen when he gets there. Yeah, I think I, you have to think there's some breaking point where Bing begins to lose faith in Charlie Banks the same way Millie is losing faith in her father. Maybe, maybe those two can kind of get together and hang out well, let's, <laughs> in Christmas land. Right? <laughs> 
uh, or, or just outside the gates, just outside the gates. Of yeah, right, what, right. What did you think, uh, let's fast forward, what did you think of Manx's seduction of Wayne in the Wraith as they're driving away? Did you get the sense that, that Wayne is listening to the words and being swayed by them, or is he still holding fast in the belief of his mother and father? I, I It's hard to tell. I mean, I think we touched on this in, in the very beginning when we were talking about Manx is not really keeping this cool here so i mean he yeah he's giving a good speech but he's not as seductive as usual because he's just been in a huge scruffle and i think the the thing that he might be working on wayne if anything is the fact that oh well you were dreaming of christmas land so it means you you do want to go there and i think that might be the one hook the one good part of of all of his sort of spin and how horrible his mom is and this and that. I think it was it's it's that that might hook Wayne in a little bit. I'm not quite sure though. It's hard to tell. What did you think? I think it was smart of Charlie to remind him that it was it was Wayne himself who gave Charlie the location. So of course that you know, of course this is what you really want. But also the I won't disappoint you like your mother does line that he kind of ends the conversation with. I think that's going to resonate with Wayne because remember, we're less than 24 hours show-wise from Wayne telling his mother that she sucks. It hasn't yeah, it's it's barely probably even been 12 hours since that conversation. So all of that feeling and anger towards Vic probably hasn't evaporated. Yeah, not entirely. I mean, and, you know, even when she's hit again, as we see later, that, you know, he reminds him almost, you know, your mother can't hurt you anymore. So he just kind of keeps digging in how his mom has hurt him. His mom has hurt him. You want to go to Christmas land. You've been dreaming about it. Your mom has been hurting you. Your mom's been hurting me. Your mom's been hurting my kids. I mean, it's a lot. And, and also that there will be kids that there for you to play with and meet, which we know, again, from last week, that's something that's on Wayne's mind. He told his mother, tomorrow I want to go find kids to play with. And she's like, honey, we're in hiding. We can't go meet kids. You know, he's really hitting all of these hot-button issues that are important to Wayne and, and for which he had a problem with Vic. You know, Charlie, Charlie is, is, is really hitting the greatest hits here, even if he's not at his most composed. Uh, what did you think of Jason David's uh, acting here when he realizes the Wraith is driving itself? I love that little bit of, of humor because he's just sort of staring there wide-eyed like any kid would. Like I would probably in that moment, you know, if my driver turned around and the car continued doing its own thing. Yeah, that was, again, a great moment to sort of give us a little, ha you know, at the end of all this intense, emotional, violence, trauma, basically, that we've witnessed for the past 30 minutes or so. Yeah, it was a great, it was a great little touch. Loved it. Uh, so we, we were back at the cabin, and Vic, again, another display of her character development, her maturity she just doesn't jump on her bike and go after them. She checks in with her father. She reminds him to take care of himself. She checks in with Lou. And, you know, when Lou gives that line that we played at the beginning of the episode, the find him, kill him line. You know, she kind of gets permission from him to go to leave him and go after uh, the Wraith, though she probably would have anyway. But she checks, which is growth for her. She just doesn't do it. She, she actually makes sure that they're okay. You know, her, her father, who's literally taken a bullet for her now, um, or defense of her family, she, you know, she makes sure that he's okay. She checks in with Lou to make sure that he's not damaged. I think that's a really great character growth for Vic, that she is not just being singularly focused on getting Manx, getting Manx, getting Manx. Even with her son being ripped away from her now, she's got kind of a larger picture, uh, a, 
ability to assess the situation. And uh, I like that. I, I think that's just, I think it's good writing. I think it's good character development. I agree. And you know what also I really like um, is how the hourglass was brought back in at the end. So, you know, we see that there's there's some kind of major planning that was going on here that we 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 don't really know about because we haven't seen in the show but 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 it basically it tell it tells us that Manx and the hourglass have obviously been talking they've struck some sort of deal they've anticipated this entire uh, scenario of like a chase to the point where Manx knows that he's going to stop in the road at a certain point if he's being chased and the hourglass is going to drive his SUV right out. So this whole abduction, you know, has been well thought out. And it also makes me wonder like what, what he gets out of the deal, because why, why is this like suave, high level, strong, creative helping Manx kidnap a seven-year-old, eight-year-old kid. There's got to be something he's getting out of this deal, right? I think that's a really important question. Isn't next week called the hourglass? So I think... Uh, it might just be. So I, 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 th- I think we're probably going to get some backfill from the last time we saw him at the end of the Night Road episode where we see him in the hotel room accepting the call from Abe to agree to go talk to Charlie. There's this time now that has elapsed between that conversation on the phone and here... Where, yeah, there was some planning going on here. I think you're actually asking the exact right question. Who is the hourglass? What is his deal? And like you said, what is he getting out of it? What what did Charlie bargain away? What did he agree to to, to get him to have really be a linchpin in this episode? Now, I don't know that Vic would have been successful anyway. I mean, the Wraith could have easily continued to drive the bike off of the road. But getting it T-boned and really taking her out of action and destroying the bike. I mean, the bike was in a bunch of pieces laying on the side of the road after he T-bones her. Yeah, got the knife too. Really high-level planning. And imagine how thankful Manx is that he has someone else to plan these heists with now besides Bing. Making Bing more expendable too. You know, Bing maybe doesn't know about the Hourglass Man or not really the full extent of him. If he's, if I'm Bing and I know about the Hourglass Man, I'm becoming much more worried about my place in the Manx organization of necessity most most definitely i don't I, I think i'd be worried about where i'm gonna fall in the hierarchy underneath of the president of fun at that point point. and interesting i mean the hourglass man is also on manx's mind here because you, you already said the line about your mother can't hurt you anymore uh that he says to wayne and he says thanks to the hourglass man which again didn't need to say that so the fact that he explicitly mentions it makes me feel one, we're not done with the Hourglass Man. There, there's more here for him to do, and Charlie is, is feeling some kind of kinship with him. Charlie doesn't hand out thanks to other people in, in, in any way easily. And so the fact that he is to this third-person child thanking the Hourglass Man by name it seems really significant to me. Definitely agree. But, you know, we're not going to really get to see much more about him, and I guess, until next week, because uh, our closing is much, much like an opening mirror, because we're back at a hospital. We're back uh, sort of from Vic's point of view, and we're basically seeing the, the carnage. I mean, everybody's in the hospital. Lou's in the hospital. Chrissy's getting his leg tended to. Well, wait, everyone except for Wayne. So once again, we start to see Vic asking for her son in this, you know, medical setting and this sort of 
frightened, helpless state that's even more compounded because everyone she loves now is, is in there and hurt. Oh my God. My heart just started sort of just falling down. Like as the minutes went through this, this part of the, the episode, I mean, did, did you get emotional at all? I did. I did. And, and solely propelled on, on the back of Ashley's acting here, the, the way she's surveying the scene and she's kind of blurry, you know, she's definitely kind of out of it as she, as anyone would be in after that motorcycle accident. But when they pull the curtain and, and they cut her off from Lou and Chris, the the way that acts as like cold water on her face and she realizes the actual situation that Wayne has been taken from her and she just loses it. She goes from kind of dazed to just having a complete breakdown about it. And how happy were you to see Linda step in there out of nowhere uh, at the at these final moments and just embrace her daughter? I, I'm getting chills just talking about it because it 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 just was. It really was just a peak of that episode, and and Ashley Cummings, the the sounds even that she's making, the the sort of the squeaky cries, the pitiful squeaky cries asking for Wayne. I just I just you know the tears started falling, and then here comes Linda McQueen, like boom, I lost it because here you see her you know, stepping in in a way that I don't think we've really seen a lot. We've not really seen a a lot of sort of um, physical affection between this mother and daughter. And, and so when you see her come in and give her that hug and just, just grabs on tight to her and it's just reflecting again, that, that bond, that parent and child tie where she knows her, her own daughter has lost hers and now she's holding on and, it it just all wraps together and oh 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 yeah i just i completely like i've watched it four times and i've cried every single time the just kind of sad pathetic he's gone mom crying into her shoulder really just a simple line reading just really really got to me it, it was very emotional but but switching to a happy moment even though even though that's the end of this episode talking about it uh, seeing Linda McQueen gives us the chance to tell you, the listener, that you should stick around because right now we have actually a fantastic interview with Virginia Cull, who plays Linda McQueen. It couldn't have worked out better, Anna, that she comes in at the end of the yeah. episode. Yeah, I know. I was so happy that we got to talk to her after this episode because I told her straight up, I've never been more happy to see Linda McQueen than I did in the end of this emotional batshit crazy ride that we were just on she just it she just was like the hug that we all needed at the end wasn't it sometimes we just need our mom sometimes we just need our mom and linda you know swoops in here at the end we needed mom but uh definitely guys definitely stick around now for our interview with virginia it's really fantastic time really funny if you like cruises or you don't like cruises you're going to be in for a real treat uh, it's it's just a it's just a it's a real entertaining story. And then stick around, and we'll wrap up the episode when we're uh, when we're all finished. We'll be right back. Virginia, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, you know, I, I know it's uh, busy times for everyone and kind of crazy times, too, with everyone still being in lockdown. But we really appreciate you taking the time and coming to talk to us tonight on Strong Creatives. Welcome. How are you doing? You know, as well as can be expected. 
living in a pandemic, but I'm good. I'm good. Are you out in LA? Because they've had their own kind of issues this last week with the... Yes, yes. I am in Los Angeles with my husband and my dog and nine-month-old twins. So, you oh, know. Well, well congratulations. <laughs> congratulations hey, on the thanks. twins. Thank you. Yes, definitely. This is going to be an interesting story for you to tell them when they're a little bit older. The the the, to- the time when everyone stopped going out and seeing people. <laughs> right. No, it was funny. We had a checkup for them yesterday with their doctor, and we realized that besides my husband and I, literally the only human being they have been touched by is their doctor. It's really weird and really sad. If you were a helicopter parent or a real OCD parent, this is like a dream. I mean, you are... I know, you know. but dude, I am not. If if anything, <laughs> if, if one thing I am sure of, this quarantine has confirmed for me, I am not stay-at-home mom material. I have the utmost respect for women that do that, and I am not good at it, and I'm ready to get back to work. <laughs> I, I know, I know. Oh. I, I can only imagine. I can only. I'm, I'm home with my 12 year old uh, son. Oh, and, so uh, yeah. I keep saying this is so hard, but at least my kids aren't school aged. So I feel, I feel deep pity for you right now. I have never realized how much math I forgot or didn't understand to begin with. Oh, I know. Uh, until about March of this year, and I was like, I don't know. <laughs> no, and now they teach it all differently too. Like all the ways I know how to get the answer aren't technically the way you're supposed to do it any longer i'd be a total mess i sent more than one message to my son's teacher this year saying <laughs> i am aware this is not how you teach it but i am here doing it with him and i didn't know else how to do it so forgive this him. is the only way i know how to get the right answer yeah, yeah. we're doing log division people we're not doing common core grouping <laughs> by numbers so uh we we were so excited when we were we found out we had a chance to talk to you. Linda is one of the most fascinating characters on Nosferatu. Let's start at the beginning though. Can you tell us how you actually were cast for the role of Linda McQueen? Um, yeah. I guess, you know, my agent sent me one of many auditions that show up in your email inbox and I thought, huh, what is this thing? Because it was from a casting director I was a big fan of, Tiffany Little Canfield. I trust her immensely. Anything she casts, I always know it's gonna be solid. And I read the pilot and I had never read anything like it. I wasn't familiar with Joe Hill's novel at that point, but I was really excited by Linda. I was really excited by the pilot that I read. And so, yeah, went in on an initial audition and met Jamie O'Brien and a couple others. And then after a couple more rounds of auditions, I got to read with Eben, who had been cast already as Chris McQueen at that point. And that was a dream and read the novel and once i read the novel i told my agents i have to play this part (laughs) so here i am now i'm going to give you our first fan question actually from chance in our facebook group you've worked on a long list of amazing projects shows such as grace point big little lies boardwalk empire this is us among others do you relate to Linda McQueen at all? Is there is is there something that was in her character that you can sort of pull out that you find interesting or tantalizing? I was drawn immediately to her honesty and her courage. I've met some Lindas and they she they scare the shit out of me, man, but I think it's because of how powerful they are, because of how no holds barred, they don't give a shit. 
there's a freedom that I think they walk the earth with that I really admire. Yeah, so I was, I was really excited by that. I was excited about that salt of the earth, blue collar world. I feel like you don't see a lot of people like that on television, particularly women. So it was, it was exciting to get to spend some time in that world and to play a mom that's not just nurturing warrior waiting at home. I felt like there was more to her and, and, uh, I was excited about it. After you read the novel, I mean, you were, you were testing apart, you read the novel. When you approach a character that exists already, either in a book or you know, it's a reboot or something like that, does that does that change how you approach or does it inform your character differently than if you were prepping a role that was, you know, something out of the blue, something that you were creating whole cloth? Absolutely. And I actually prefer to play parts where I have text and backstory and literature to pull from. Joe Hill and Jamie O'Brien are smarter human beings than I am. So, <laughs> I think so, they're smarter than a lot of us. I think most of us. I mean, they're, to, to, they're to come genius up with this. people. Yeah. They're genius people, and and so I'd yeah. be an idiot to not soak up every single thing I could from either of them. So from from Joe's source material, from the amazing world he created in his book, from Jamie and the amazing script that she wrote, and also. Jamie is from freaking Massachusetts, from this world. She she knows this was her childhood. Not I'm not saying Vic and Jamie are the same person. I'm just saying that she is of this ilk, and it. I love swapping stories about about the way she grew up and the way I grew up, and all of that has informed hopefully the way that I'm I'm playing Linda and the way she's coming across in our story. Especially mothers and daughters are such complicated relationships. And I'm going to go back to season one. There's there's a scene in the eighth episode called Parnassus where mm-hmm. Vic is tearing Linda down after Linda finds the booze and weed and Vic's Oh, God, friend. yeah. And yeah, that. To me, both you and Ashley were like at your emotional peaks as mother and daughter in those moments can you tell us what it was like filming that scene at all (laughs) you know props to Ashley she is fearless and I trust her immensely so I think that we both felt free to go to those places emotionally with each other I pride myself on being a pretty respectful professional professional presence on set. I like to practice. I like to talk through moments of violence and intimacy and all of those things. I think that's decent, good behavior. But I have to tell you, this is a little secret that I'm a little bit embarrassed by. This particular scene, when I throw the bottle of vodka at her, they had a real glass bottle for the takes of me holding it before I throw. And then they had safety sugar glass bottles for when I actually throw the bottle at her for safety's sake. And there was a take where I had the real glass bottle in my hand and I, I was so out of my mind angry at her that I threw it full force at her. I love that. It was terrifying. It was absolutely terrifying. 
And I'm so curious what the dailies from that raw footage right after that, because I, I lost it because I was so, I was so angry at Vic, but Virginia was so horrified and scared that she had just endangered Ashley. (laughs) It was really intense. I mean that's um, that's method that's acting amazing. whether you subscribe to it or not. Yeah. You were, <laughs> I know and were... I'm not I'm not really oh a method actor, but I totally went method in that moment and it scared the shit out of me. Um and I think it scared her too. And I appreciate her forgiveness. Yeah. But you know, we, we made it through. Oh. No no blood was drawn. To, to, be, um, to be fair, to be fair, I actually, I, I had a feeling that we were going to get uh, to this point. So I pulled a quote from the episode right before you throw the bottle. She says to you, how the hell would you know you're an ignorant small town loser? No wonder dad left you. I mean, yeah. come on. That warrants yeah. a bottle thrown at her head for sure. I mean, yeah, exactly. By, by someone like Linda, certainly. I mean, Linda is definitely a spanker. She definitely has slapped her kiddo around from time to time. I would never describe her as a child beating violent woman by any means but i do think that she is from that stock of folks that if your kid's acting like an idiot in the grocery store you smack him upside the head there's a pull him by the ear there's a north there's a northeast sense of justice in parent rearing uh absolutely from from Uh that generation so i I totally (laughs) appreciate and i and i appreciate and applaud jamie and joe for being brave enough and insistent enough that that sort of stuff stays in our show. I think it makes people uncomfortable to see a mother do that to her child because it's not attractive. It's not pretty, but I think it's very real. And I am Mm -hmm. interested in these types of women who fiercely love their children. I think Linda would take a bullet for her. She would lie down in front of traffic for this girl. She would lay down her life for her. And yet she would throw a freaking vodka bottle at her too. I think you've got it 100% right. I mean, she loves at 100% in all ways. Um, Yes. But that's interesting though, because I mean, Linda, season one Linda is a very intense, rides Vic hard kind of mom. But season two, let's fast forward eight years and Linda seems much more relaxed in her life. She seems much happier. Uh, (laughs) How did your mindset about playing her change going into season two versus season one? Well, Jamie did this awesome thing where she invited all of kind of the central cast members to join the writers in the writer's room for a day. And so I got to sit with them while they were breaking story for season two with the note cards on the board and storyboarding and figuring out what sort of insane adventures is everyone going to get up to this season. And so it was encouraging that they wanted to hear from me, that that I kind of had a say that was exciting. <laughs> and uh, it was eight years have passed you know so it it only follows that major change will have happened particularly for linda who the two people that her life revolved around from age basically 17 going forward were chris mcqueen and her daughter vic and both have left her eight years have passed something's something's got to give there's a scene where you're giving her the real talk and and even in your approach to her when you say well who are you chris mcqueen call them you know (laughs) even that admonishment was such a different tone than she would have approached it you know say last season you kind of answered it already but i was going to ask the changes we're seeing in her are more on the paper 
or if they were just in how you're kind of interpreting your approach to this, you know, older, mm. older daughter now and you being older or wiser too, uh, or Linda, or I guess that's interesting. Or is it a combination? I think it's a combo. I think it's a combo. I think I've noticed it in myself and I've certainly noticed it in um, my parents, but I do think with aging, you don't sweat the big stuff as much. Does that make sense? The things that got to me 10 years ago don't bother me in the same way because right. life is short and blink and you'll miss it. <laughs> so you, yeah. you kind of have a sad, resolved sense of humor about things that 10 years earlier would have sent you into like an angsty spiral. It's, you know, the perspective of aging kind of uh, thing. Yeah, sure. yeah. yeah. She's found love. She married Sean the mailman, the redhead. <laughs> So I, I think she's living her best life. I am 100% convinced that now that she's married to a man with the, who's an adult and actually like contributes and takes care of his finances, I 100% believe Linda applied for every cruise credit card she could. And I think that she just goes on cruises all the time with her time off. I just imagine her like at the mini bar hanging out by the all-you-can-eat shrimp, just loving life. I definitely see that. And, and you know, and- Don't you see that? I, 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 well, yes, for sure. And as someone who also spends a lot of time going on cruises too, to get away from it all, I totally appreciate that. Uh, when, well, you again, do? I do. I love cruises. I am Which obsessed one? with them. Which one? I Are am... you like a Linda McQueen kind of cruise or, or what kind of cruise do you go on? I'm a Royal Caribbean guy, so I'm not I'm as- really- I'm not as fancy as Norwegian, but I'm a little too old for Carnival. So Royal Caribbean is that middle, that middle lane. That's that's. Where I I'm at. love that you are enough of a cruiser that you can tell the difference between those. Major props uh, to you, man. I mean, a little glimpse into where you all you guys the... are nuts. That's no, no. Literally, Virginia's <laughs> worst nightmare is being on a cruise ship. I, 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 I would just. I would die a million tiny deaths. It's like being stuck on a Denny's with a bunch of people in, I don't even want to say it because I don't want to alienate any of your listeners. Listen. You know what I mean. You know what I mean. Virginia, after the 10th, you know, frozen daiquiri, you don't give a shit, girl. It's all good. (laughs) That's true. My friend Tisha goes on. Oh, the little riverboat cruises. Uh, I don't know. I, I'm about unlimited <laughs> unlimited drinks and pizza at three in the morning on a moving boat. Sign me up, people. I had to ask only because you, you throw out the little nugget about Sean and, and we heard about him really briefly. Are we going to learn more about Sean as the season goes oh on? Oh my gosh. I, well, stay Without tuned. being too spoilery. Without being too spoilery. Stay you tuned. Say. You'll just have to stay tuned. I can't, I can't give much away. Um, but I will say when Linda mentions him in season one, literally all I say is Sean the mailman something about Sean the mailman and then I say the man's got a nice face for a redhead and literally I sent Jamie and all the writers an email and I said if this man is going to make an appearance in subsequent seasons let me know because I have a list of redheaded actors that I would be totally thrilled to work with and literally I have like four (laughs) men in mind all gingers 
then oh man we would be so lucky if they joined us on this adventure so. i think i think you would really like cruising <laughs> i think it would be really up your alley if you're keeping you're keeping lists of redheaded actors just on hand in your wallet i think you'd like being on a cruise i'm just saying i'm just saying let's talk about tonight's episode real quick because honestly at the end of episode five i've never been so happy to see linda mcqueen in that oh. scene in the hospital. So, yeah. yeah, I mean, really. Um, So we have Chris. He's finally been able to see the true extent of the danger that Vic uh, and her family live with. But Linda mm -hmm. hasn't yet really experienced the menace of Manx or, you know, she's never even seen Vic's supernatural abilities. So right. as spoiler-free as possible going forward, how does she sort of cope with her entire family now at risk and her grandson suddenly abducted? I mean, can you tell us how these events change Linda or not uh, as we kind of move forward? I can say very clearly, Linda is excellent in a crisis. I would totally want her on my team in the zombie apocalypse. She's definitely the woman to, that Vic needs in her corner going forward. I'm excited for all of us to get to see the opening and blowing of Linda's mind that is going to happen. Ooh, I like that tease. That's a good one. Man, oh, good. Good. man yeah. that is a way to dangle it yeah. out there. People take, take <laughs> notes. On how to on how to cast a line, we actually have another fan question. This one is from Brandy. This was a this is a popular question, but Brandy uh, from our Facebook group asked this exact one, so I'm going to give it to you just as she wrote it. As a native New Englander, including having family from Haverhill, I have to say the accents are spot on. What kind of research did you do to prepare for your role? Well, first of all, we had an insanely talented dialect coach, Amanda Quaid. She's also an extraordinary actress. I've watched her on stage in New York City for years. I just, I think the woman's a genius. So I was thrilled to find out she was going to be coaching us on the dialects. Evans from Amherst, Massachusetts. So he's an expert. But my number one thing that I did, do you guys know Stop and Shop? Do you know this? This No, not Stop and Shop, Savers. Savers. Are you familiar with Savers? Familiar with it, no. Yes, but I have okay, Stop and Savers. Shop. Savers. Savers is this yummy, yummy, yummy thrift store kind of thing. You can get clothes. You can get old, crappy toaster ovens. I mean, imagine Goodwill, but like take it down a notch. Ah. So I, I love places like this. I mean, it's my happy place to just go push a cart around and find some treasures. So I was bored one day when I wasn't on set and I thought, oh, I'm just going to like go to a thrift store. I find this place called Savers in Massachusetts. I walk in the door. Everyone has the most intense accent you have ever heard. Like I didn't, I, I thought people were joking at first because I couldn't believe the sounds that I was hearing. And so I got in this habit. I would go to Savers on a weekly basis and get a cart and push it around and not buy anything. I just push it around <laughs> listening to people talk. <laughs> and then and then I would like go home and call my husband who was in LA and I would try to like recreate what I had been hearing. It drove him bonkers he was like i want my wife back like okay i've had enough of linda today but it was the best research in the world 
I mean, just go to Sarah's in Massachusetts if you're if That's you're looking for so dialect awesome. help. <laughs> it was awesome. It was totally great. I had so much fun. Yeah. Hours and hours in the Sabres. We ask everyone who comes on Strong Creatives welcome this question. Um, so here we go. If you had an Inkscape, what would it be, and what would your knife be? I was asked this question the other day, and I really wish my answer was more exciting. <laughs> At a different time in my life, it will be. But right now, I think my knife will most likely be whatever drool, spit up, food stained shirt or apron the my children have like completely messed up it would be that Aww. thing I'm wearing and my inscape would 100% be like a hammock <laughs> on a private island and no one else is there no one can touch me no one needs anything from me and I'm just like hanging out on my own, not, not a comp, not going on adventures, no not cruise. saving the day. Not to beat a dead horse, <laughs> but all the cruise lines have their own private islands. Exactly, and, and they're stops. They are stops where it's just you know you can go to Roatan in Honduras. It's just an island that belongs okay. to Royal Caribbean. All right. You and me. It's meant to you be. You and me, man. That's it. Well, well, no, see, Royal is good. You can bring the kids. You can bring your husband. I'll bring my son. It's so much fun. They've got they've got kitty babysitting. They keep them occupied. They love right. it. Yes. Yeah, and you know what? Royal Caribbean is exactly where I want to be right now in the middle of the coronavirus yeah. pandemic. Yeah. I think this is a great Definitely. idea. Yeah. Definitely. That's idea. what the alcohol, the alcohol kills all the germs. That's where I'll Virginia, be. we're solving the world's problems. <laughs> We're solving oh the world's gosh. problems. Great, great. <laughs> Sounds wonderful. Uh, I, I, it, unless you absolutely have to go, if we can give you one more question, and just because we like the fans like hearing, uh, what's been one of your favorite experiences of working on the show now, the two years? Oh, man. I love the cast. I really, really love the cast. It's been a dream. Some of my favorite scenes were were fighting with Eben. He's so much fun to fight with. It's he's just an electric actor. He's really remarkable. Aww. Ashley, I love her so much on set, and I love her so much offset. She would email me during the hiatus and say. Aaron, her beautiful partner, Aaron and I are going to the beach this Sunday to do a beach clean. I mean, she is the most thoughtful, generous soul you have ever met. And the fact that she's such a damn fine actor is, it's its almost unfair <laughs> how, <laughs> how wonderful she is. So I would, I would definitely say the cast. And then the addition of, oh my gosh, Ashley Romans and Jonathan Langdon. I mean, Aren't they just yeah. great? Yeah. They're just so great together. My husband really? turned to me the other day because he's watching it for the first time. And he turned to me the other day after a scene between Lou and Vic. And he said, oh, my gosh. Like, he's just fantastic. And and Ryan, we just had the dumbest grins on our face. We were enjoying him so much. So definitely 100% the cast, the people I've met. I love that. I don't know if you yeah, can get a more perfect answer. You. Virginia, thank you so much for hanging out with us I tonight. I know. My pleasure. Yes. Thank you for your patience with my with my uh, just pitiful phone skills. Uh, you're, you are doing great, and it gave me time. I already booked a cruise for like yes. ten people. We're all good. <laughs> There's a spot for all of you guys. We're doing a Nosferatu oh. theme cruise. 
Oh my god! There's gonna be like yeah. Little... I have to tell you guys. Yay! I have to tell you guys one <laughs> one quick thing. One just another like nugget about this cast. Dari, who plays Bing Partridge, at the beginning of the quarantine, sent all of the cast an email with a picture of his beautiful wife and his two girls, all cuddled in bed together. He and he said, oh. "Guys, I'm oh. thinking of you. I love you all." This is a really tough time. I feel like Charlie Manx even might need a hug. Aww. Isn't, isn't that just Aww. the most charming? <laughs> and I have to I have to remind myself of that every Sunday that I'm watching him terrorize everybody because he's just yeah. he's the dearest, dearest man. I mean, so, he's in yeah. especially in this episode that just aired tonight, episode five, he is in rare form, even for him. I know. Oh. I know. I know. Mm. I know. Oh man, uh, Virginia! Again, thank just you so much. Wait, just wait. Just oh, my wait. pleasure, guys. Thank you. I hope we get to talk to you again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Sounds I good. Know. Anytime. Please do. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you, Virginia. On the on the cruise. On, okay. on, on, on the cruise. Well, I'm, I'm already saving the beach chairs. We got we got the chairs saved. It's all good. <laughs> all right. Sounds good. Sounds Take good. care. Bye bye. 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 Thank you to Virginia for taking the time to talk to us uh, about her time with the show. Thank you guys for listening and tuning in every week to Strong Creatives Welcome to Nosferatu Podcast. And thank you for making it one of the most listened to podcasts in the country. That's all because of you guys. So thank you so much uh, for listening and and for spending so much time with us. Yeah, guys, thank you all so much for for hanging out. And make sure if you are on there, please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to the Strong Creatives Welcome, the Nosferatu Podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. And again, five stars, five stars, five stars. We really appreciate it. Uh, See you next week. Strong Creatives Welcome, the Nosferatu podcast, is an original production of Pod Clubhouse. Recorded, edited, and produced at Pod Clubhouse Studios. For more information, please visit us online at podclubhouse.com.